Welcome to Active Activism, part of the Fem On Collective. On this show, my guests share the causes important to them, how they became involved, and why we should be active in our activism. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us for Active Activism. I met today's guests through the And I Thought Ladies, which you've heard a lot. During that brief chat, we bonded over our alliterative names, acting, and manifesting our futures. And then later, they paired me with her for a magazine interview, which allowed us to connect on an even deeper level. We've never met in person. And I, even so, I know that if I found myself in need, she would be there for me. And I don't think that's special to me. She has this open giving spirit, which is why I invited her here today. Welcome, Radhika. Please introduce yourself and tell us what you do. Thank you, Tanya. That was so kind and generous. My name is Radhika. Um, I'm an activist, um, actor, and a communications coach. I've been rebranding myself a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Well, what is your earliest mem- memory of helping someone? Hmm. Well, my earliest memory of helping someone is probably through friendships you know yeah that's I wasn't expecting that question but I'm gonna say through (laughs) friendships and um for me I feel like I've always been the kind of person that when I'm in a room I look around and see who's is everyone okay who's ill at ease and if somebody looks like they're they're not fitting in that I want to go and say how are you hello you know Mm -hmm. and so that's probably I'm gonna say my first memory of um helping somebody yeah I didn't think I had a particular skill or I could help somebody um with money or something fancy but definitely making them feel welcome is probably something I can remember and so how did it make you feel when you did that it made me feel connected to the other person and really good. Yeah. So since, go yeah. ahead. Oh, and um, since then, I think it's evolved to a feeling of um, whoever I meet, I want them to feel like they have a superpower or something that they can contribute to the world and that there's something that makes them unique or special. That's wonderful. Sounds like a fairy godmother, but maybe a bit. Well, bit maybe different. we need that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have money, so I have words. <laughs> so what are some of the causes and charitable organizations that you champion right now? Mm, yeah, well, the biggest one that I'm part of that takes most of my um, time is this organization called Sokagaka International USA, SGI hyphen USA. And um, it's originally an organization that started in Japan in the middle of two world wars. And it's founded on uh, Buddhist humanitarian principles, but is, um, you know, an organization that champions nuclear disarmament, you know, um, um, uh, sustainability, dignity of life, you know, environmental causes. Um, But it's really founded on uh, Buddhism, which is, you know, really respecting life. And that takes about, that takes the bulk of my time when it comes to, you know, um, 
making a difference in this world. And I am in particularly, I'm, um, I'm um, in charge of what you would call the women's um, wing, which is actually 2,300 and some change um, women in the Bay Area uh, from Monterey to San Francisco in the San Francisco Bay Area. And uh, yeah, we work, I work together with them, empowering them uh, to believe in themselves and then also make a difference in society. So what exactly is your role there? What do you do? How do, how do you achieve these goals? Yeah. So um, some of what I do is speak in public. Um, you know, um, some of um, what I do is visiting, um, you know, the women that are part of this organization. So we're not a, it's not top down in this way. It's very horizontal. And the idea is that, you know, somebody, um, I'm, I'm called a leader, but as a leader, my my goal is to, you know, empower people that are in my group to believe in themselves and make a difference wherever they are and be lighthouses, um, you know, in their workplace or their family. So it involves like one-on-one -on -one meeting people. Um, it involves like studying, um, you know, Buddhist principles and sharing them. Um, yeah. And every time something happens in the world that is um, disturbing or, you know, people are ill at ease, really, um, you know, diving in and digging deep into, you know, Buddhist philosophy and, um, and philosophies of hope and encouraging people to like rise above, which is happening almost every day today. Like, where yes, it's like gun violence or the pandemic or, you know, climate change. There's, there's so much that's happening and I'm based in San Francisco, California. So we've, in addition to the pandemic, we had these crazy wildfires in the last three years. Um, just the past week, we've had two shootings in my city, San Francisco. And so people are just, you know, really ill, you know, ill at ease. A lot of um, the people that I work with are parents and um, of Gen Z um, or even children that their generation has been marked. And so suicide, loneliness, mental health issues are just big issues in the community. And I think we've um, young people just <laughs> don't have a lot of hope. A lot of them don't have a lot of hope. Um, and so um, building hope, you know, one by one by one is kind of my mission statement. Yeah, that's one thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can go into, yeah. Well, I do, I want to, yeah. to ask, you mentioned that this is a Buddhist organization. Yes. So how big of a role does your faith and spirituality play in your activist journey? Oh, I think it's like, I'm going to say 100%. <laughs> um, you know, um, it just, it fuels it because um, Buddhism is based on the concept of cause and effect. So, you know, um, if you're looking at, there's a, a beautiful quote, and I'm paraphrasing, but that if you want to understand the present, um, you know, look to the past and the causes mm -hmm. that we made there. If you want to understand the future, look to the present and the causes that we make in the present will determine the future. So it's very logical and rational um, where Buddhism will go further as something that defy that goes beyond reason is, um, you know, is that we have the power to make the impossible into possible. You know, that human beings are powerful, you know, and that there's something, you know, mystic 
um, you know, in you. So we can't just be like, oh, my God, we're all, you know, we're doomed <laughs> because of blah, blah, blah. But actually, there's something very powerful that happens when human beings decide uh, to change something. And that's been shown by whether they're Buddhist or not, like people who've changed history, you know, have taken that upon themselves and say, I believe in equality or I believe in changing X, something that's never going to change, you know. So um, 100%, that's what it, um, I think I'm fueled by my belief in Buddhist ideals. And just in humanism, I I think human beings are powerful. We can do good or bad. And Buddhism says that as well. And there's no good people and bad people. There are people that manifest either or. And so by doing what in um, Buddhist philosophy you call human revolution, if each individual wakes up to the greatness of their life, wins where they are, overcomes their own circumstances, their own challenges, um, then they can become really powerful and make a difference in the world. And vice versa, when you decide to make a difference, your own life is, you know, um, becomes richer. And so they both, we call it practice for oneself and others. Like happiness is not just for yourself. It's, you're not truly happy until you really care about someone else. That's a wonderful idea. I learned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you agree. Like, I think for, I think for like folks of color, queer folks, happy pride, by the way, I mean, any minority, like it's not an option, <laughs> you know, you, kind of, you can't be happy unless you kind of, you know, give back. And the moment you have something, you feel like you have to give back. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a privilege and a fun privilege to have. So what are some of the other causes that you're involved with right now? Um. So, a lot of the causes that I am involved with are accidental. So I'm part of a theater group called Same Boat Collective. They're an incredible theater group. And they um, they put out shows um, about envi the environment and environmental sustainability. They're based in um, the San Francisco Bay Area. And I'm really proud to be on their board. Um, and uh, it's it's really incredible because it's through art that they, um, you know, they they challenge the audience and say, hey, what decisions and choices can we make? Uh, and it just it's making me sick how much plastic we use as Americans and, you know, um, you know, how much fuel we're using, how we're just how politics determines rather than, you know, the choices we should the good choices we should be making, whether like you can, you know, whether we use you know, fossil fuels, or we, you know, choose an electric option. It's just really, really incredible. So I'm, I'm grateful that I could be on this um, theater groups, um, you know, board. So I, I support them. Um, I, another um, cause that I'm really passionate about and on and off, I will get involved is about restorative justice. I really feel like the, um, you know, just the justice system is so messed up in this country. And I'm also a teacher. And so just the school to prison pipeline and it's just unbelievable, you know, um, how many, especially like, you know, black males are in prison. It's just, and so how I got into restorative justice was two ways. One was um, uh, when I was, I think one or two years old in America, and I've been in America now for 20 years, but in my, I came here for grad school, my first year of grad school in Boston, um, I got an opportunity to be part of a, a nonprofit by the name of um, uh, the Akeda Center, and they were putting together activists from various parts of the Boston area to talk about 
uh, peace and dialogue. And um, they were basing themselves in the native um you know, indigenous peoples of America, there's the philosophy of peace circles, you know, where you sit in and you have a talking piece and then you speak and everybody listens and you pass a talking piece on, but yeah. where they sit in sweat lodges, make a decision by consensus. And, you know, and so this idea that America was founded on what, that, I mean, pre-America, America was, was so beautiful and humanistic and peaceful. And then what happened in the you know, possession of the native lands and the original genocide, if you will, and then slavery that followed. And, you know, it's just the, you know, some people call it the, you know, the um, original sin that America was founded on. I don't know. Uh, but it was, we were actually led by an incredible, um, you know, an incredible leader in the indigenous community. And he taught us how to sit in circle with each other and talk. And um, and through that, I met a lot of people in the restorative justice community that had been, um, you know, talking not about justice as punishment and reward, but as, you know, if a person makes an error or if harm happens, the community is responsible. We are all responsible for the individual successes and their failures. Um, and 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 this beautiful idea that, you know, we can all work together because I personally feel when you, I don't know, different prisons vary and some are more healing than others or restorative, but in general, you just go into prison, you come back, it's it's a punishment and it's awful. And, and um, many activists, and I was very young, I was in my mid twenties and there were activists who had been practicing for a long time talking about how uh, when harm happens, instead of incarcerating somebody, they were sitting in circle with the police and the members of the community in nonviolent spirit and and getting to the root of why that violence happened. And this was way before Black Lives Matter or before like the police was really held accountable in America the way it was, you know. Um, uh, uh, you know, since a few years ago, but this was really, this, so this was, this was ahead of its time. So since then, I've really believed in that. And then about uh, five or six years ago, when the whole hashtag Me Too was happening, I'm in theater and a lot of harm that happens in theater with sexual harassment, assault, um, started to come to the fore. And I was yeah. excited to be part of, a, and I had actually reported harm to myself. And uh, so I was um, actually invited to be part of um, a restorative justice circle that went down for two years that honestly completely transformed the Bay Area uh, theater um, atmosphere. And now things are so much safer um, for everybody, not just women or queer folks or people of color, but honestly for everybody. Um, it's really, really, it's really beautiful what's happened. So that was another um, process that I was um, invited to be part of. And then I'm in San Francisco. And so homelessness is a big thing in our community. So I also teach um, theater um, to folks, uh, to young people uh, under the age of 25 experiencing homelessness. And um, I'm actually um, supported by a theater group called Cutting Ball Theater. And when they started to do the work, their board asked if, you know, if that shouldn't you be don't they need jobs? Why do they need theater? And, you know, I said, fair enough. And um, it was a bunch of, you know, boards tend to be a bunch of white folks, but white ladies and in defense of white ladies, they do so much, you know, with their time in terms of volunteering. <laughs> but sometimes there's a gap between them and the people on the street that are really struggling with issues such as homelessness. So they were like, they were like, why do they need theater? They need jobs. Why don't we give them job skills? And I went back to this organization and said, is that 
tell me what rings true. We're happy to provide you with services you need. And the young people said that all of their life is about survival on the streets of San Francisco and in the Bay Area. And it makes them feel less than human. But when they think about art and it, you know, and imagining another future, another character, another possibility, it makes them feel fully human. That art makes them fully human and they need to feel human to not only survive, but thrive and overcome their circumstances. So I'm very, very activist about the need for art <laughs> to get us out of even our, you know, survival. Yes, art is activism. <laughs> art is activism, you know, and so I think I don't want to overwhelm, but those are some of the big causes I've been involved in. And I work in the. Okay, when I when I asked you to do this, yeah. you. Yeah. You emailed me back saying, I'm not sure I qualify as an activist. And I love that you are claiming it now <laughs> because and obviously I, you do qualify. This list proves that you do qualify, but I love that it's part of how you identify now. Th thank you. And I have to thank you for that because you, you helped me reframe that. And I'm going to, you know, be honest and say, I did. I did like start my little iPhone notes and be like, okay, what are the things that I do, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that help other people? It really helped me think about stuff. But I, there was a reason why I had a reservation. And may I share that reason with of you? Of course. And that reason is because um, when sometimes when we say activist, then I conflate it with volunteering my time. And about like sacrificing my time. And that rung untrue to me because as an actor and a teacher, that's I'm not a teacher in a school system where I get a pension. I'm very, very financially uh, fragile. <laughs> and more so now inflation is through the roof and I live in one of the most expensive zip codes. Um, so I have been occasionally paid a little bit for the work that I've been done. It's not, you know, it's it's never like doesn't really match the amount of effort you put in. And also with some of my work, like with my work in my Buddhist organization, I feel like I get so much out of it, you know, and that can I say that I'm just giving? But then as I was <laughs> thinking about that, I was thinking, no, giving out is giving to yourself. And there's I don't know an, a person that gives, whether it's a mom that, you know, gives or, you know, a person that volunteers their time with the Red Cross that doesn't feel like something's come back. So I was like, scientifically, it was a wrong thing I was after that maybe Tanya's asking me about, <laughs> you know, a sacrifice, but it isn't a sacrifice. And I realized that every time I, I'm short on my, am I giving back? I'm not happy. You know, and in the pandemic, I remember it was it was one of the most amazing times of my life. It sounds terrible, but like um, because I was a week before the pandemic, I was so overwhelmed. And I said, I wish the world would just stop. That was <laughs> and <laughs> then the pandemic, our futures, right? <laughs> it was it was crazy. And then the pandemic happened. It was so awful. And I was so fortunate that, you know, I had some close calls in my family but that people survived the pandemic, that I was able as an artist to survive the pandemic, I was able to get grants. And actually I was um, 
in a way, I was healthier and happier than I had been before. I was able to, you know, be, get on food stamps and, you know, get grants. And I wasn't working as much. So I could take walks in my neighborhood and I could breathe. I could do a lot of things. And um, but it was at that time I remember I was like, I'm not doing anything. I'm really enjoying this free time, but I'm not doing anything. And um, I remember getting involved with the foster system then in San Francisco. And I now have a foster youth that I work with that I see, you know, I just saw him yesterday and it's just so wonderful. And I'm, and I felt like, oh, I'm not a parent. I remember feeling that parents are overwhelmed during the pandemic because the kids were home and moms, especially. And I was just really enjoying the silence. I mean, I was a little lonely, but I didn't have those pressures. And the first thought that came to my mind was I should give back as a non-parent and a person you know, and through different circumstances, I found like uh, this organization called CASA, which is a court appointed special advocate for uh, young people in the foster system. And I got connected to a youth and I continue to see him, um, you know, every few weeks. And it's just the joy of my life, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you when you asked me that question, it, it enabled me to reflect and think about how much I do. And so thank you, Tanya, because I I wasn't claiming activism at all. And I appreciate that so much because the whole point of this show is to help, not only help others be active in their activism, but to recognize that activism comes in so many different shapes and forms. It can be money. It can be time. Yeah. It can be your voice. It's There are so many things that you can do that are helping others. And it's we have to redefine it because sometimes we limit what we think counts. Yeah. Yeah. So now I want to talk about a bigger piece of your activism, a future piece of your activism. Tell me about your dream of being an ambassador for peace. Yes. Did I say that to you? You did. Oh, wow. Okay. So this came through my um, reflections and my da daily um you know, uh, meditation practice, which is, you know, chanting. And I chant this phrase, Nam Yoho Renge Kyo, which means many things, but it really, it also means that, you know, um, you know, the key to my life in the world is in my hands, you know? Um, and I, uh, Buddhism and my Buddhist practice asks me the question every day, for what purpose am I alive? <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm 46 years old and um, I wasn't sure what I was alive for because everything that I had fought so hard for in my 20s and 30s, I felt like I had kind of achieved. I'm a working artist and like I do what I love. And I'm like, how did I ever get to this place, you know, where my work is so joyful and I can survive in San Francisco and I have a beautiful life. I have good friends, you know, and um, and I just I couldn't figure it out where where next and I realized through my prayers that um I needed to dream bigger dreams that I had achieved a lot but now my I've outgrown my smaller dreams in my 20s and 30s and as I was praying I said I'm just so disturbed by war and why people and war going from like road rage to like war war you know like in sudan or in ukraine right. or, you know uh, what's happening in afghanistan or iran or you know like just that those you know and i come from a country that's very divided in, in terms of caste and religion and 
you know, genders are so divided. And so um, I just, the word, what came to me was I want to be, I want to influence, I want to be an influencer if you want, <laughs> on Instagram or TikTok, but I want to be an influence when it comes to peace building, you know, and I want to make a difference through dialogue. I believe so much in dialogue and in conversation and that we're fully human when we engage in dialogue and not when we write people off and, you know, pick up our weapons. And, um, and so I want to be part of that. And part of it is that I've, I've gotten involved in a lot of facilitation work. So I'm getting better and better as a facilitator um, through all kinds of training, like some of which I mentioned. The other is that I'm, I have this beautiful tool, which is theater and art that I have. And uh, by the virtue of the fact that you play another person's part, you know, one can understand even a villain, right? Because in theater, even like, you know, Tanya, like one of the best parts to play is a villain, you know, or like a person that does bad things uh, because you can really get into the head of that person. But when we're playing, you know, a person that does bad things, we, we are on their side. And right. Like, they have <laughs> their reasons for why they're doing this. So we yeah. need to understand it and go, go with that mentality of there is a purpose to this yes, and I'm, and I'm right. And I'm right. I have there. Yes, exactly. And I'm right. And so I said, I, I can use this. And I, I do like, I, I'm engaged a lot in improvisational theater, you know, improv comedy for sure. That's such a, it just brings people together. Um, I've done some theater of the oppressed work forum theater, which is founded by Augusto Boal and the, you know, uh, he used that for a lot of class clashes, you know, working class versus, you know, other classes and, um, you know, and um, some ethnodrama, which is Anna DeVere Smith's work, which is where you interview people in the community. And then you, you know, um, just as they said it, you, you know, you put on those monologues. And so there's a lot of that that came to my mind. And then, so I'm, I'm still wrestling with it. I don't know. And I just like to be a goodwill ambassador like one of those un goodwill ambassadors or other um but yeah and so i i don't know the shape uh of what it is but um i'm starting to start where you are is also a buddhist principle like dig where you are you know and um so i just i dig where i am like i try to when i walk out of the door like say hello to people create peace in my community like in my apartment i live in an apartment complex you know i started um, bringing up packages to folks instead of it lying by the door. And there's a lot of package theft in, you know, in San Francisco. Um, and then I noticed other people started doing that in my apartment, you know. So I started this, like, um, you know, this kind of revolution of bringing up packages, if you will. Um, you know, and then the moment I said it out loud, you know, the whole manifesting thing, um, I wasn't sure how it was going to happen. Um, and of course, like I said, I'm financially, I need to make some money. I got this job with a company that's a wonderful company. If honestly, I'm going to plug it. If any uh, big organization wants to hire them, they're called Life Theater. And what they do is they put on 20 minute shows and it's a, they're three person shows and each person is kind of biased or has like, you know, has a little bit of a grudge and, you know, and, but they do, they create harm in their own way, you know, you know, and they experience harm. And then we stay in character and, you know, and folks in the organization, our audience members have to counsel us, you know, through dialogue and how to be 
how to make better choices. So that's so cool because you're getting the audience involved and helping them have that conversation. I love it. Isn't that great? And because usually HR trainings happen through PowerPoint. So this one is actually <laughs> through theater. And a lot of people have never seen theater. And it's incredible. And we've done like respect, ethics, um, sexual harassment. The one we just did was anti-bias in which we talked a lot about actually um, you know, race relations and white privilege, but we, you know, we had to couch it in this, people aren't, some people aren't ready to talk about, right? <laughs> um, you know, white privilege. And so it was wonderful. And um, we went on tour, I got to go to Hawaii for the first time in my life, you know, um, all expenses paid, but we had these dialogues with thousands of people um, in this wonderful company that I won't name just for confidentiality. Um, that was a combination of field workers and corporate, you know, workers. And there was a lot of strife and, um, you know, and it was like, you know, the Trump voters versus the liberals and, you know, um, women versus men. And, you know, it was a lot of that. But what I realized through those dialogues is that, you know, there's just a lot of people that are very angry. And frankly, a lot of um, white men are very angry at this moment. Um, and they can't understand what's going on in the world. Um, but through the work that we do, I was also able to see them as hurt also to be able to see that there's so much toxic masculinity that, that turns that hurt into anger. That's really toxic mm. that, um, good, you know, well-meaning people have the bystander thing where they get frozen and they don't step up, you know, and, and support somebody. So I was playing this woman of color that's slightly homophobic and does a few things, but she's actually facing a lot of racism and it was really interesting when we started to dialogue how um, white men would get very angry at my character. And, um, but what shocked me not was their anger, but the fact that there was like 50 people sometimes in the room and not one person would interject or say, or would, would calm that person down. And when they were asked later on, they said, oh, we froze. We didn't want to, you know, so this, so we've been talking to this company about what it means to stand up, not just witness harm and, you know, but to, you have the power being a bystander yes you know <laughs> and um as a woman of color it took a lot like took me also a lot of like courage and compassion to reach out to across the aisle and have compassion for a hurt person even if they have tremendous privilege and you know kind of build those bridges and uh, it's been really interesting we're we're an experiment but we're um, we're having the conversations that Americans need to have at this moment across political lines as well. So I feel really proud of the work that I'm doing and it's through theater. So I feel like that's the start. Uh, maybe 20 years from now, I hope that I'll be, um, I feel very strongly about displaced people, refugees, uh, people that are displaced because of war. And so maybe I'll be going to war-torn areas, you know, because I think I have the capacity to do that kind of work. So I don't know, I put it out there. I don't know how it'll manifest. I love that you said that because when I interviewed you for the And I Thought Ladies magazine, uh -huh. I asked you what type of impact you wanted to have on the world. And you said something along the lines of that making a certain amount of money and having a certain amount of visibility and recognition is really important so that you can advocate for causes that are important to you. Yes. And that really spoke to me because... I, I can be very uncomfortable in the spotlight. And sometimes I even feel guilty about the attention. You know, yeah. part of it is imposter syndrome, but part of it is also, I feel like I'm taking attention away from others who need it more. Yeah. Yet I understand that being there 
is a blessing that allows me to advocate for others. And so when you gave me that answer, I was just in awe of your basic awareness of how success can directly lead to helping others and your your comfort in accepting it. And here you are talking about what you, you know, this you still have these big future plans. So after you become a star, because yes, we are manifesting it right now. What are some of the causes you're going to champion on a grand scale? Oh, thank you so much. And um, thank you for, for sharing that. And um, for me too, it was another woman that said that to me because I used to always like hide from the spotlight because I was guilty or kind of like shame is built in for taking up too much space or yes and um but you know you have to be the sun shines brightly every day you know rises and it's like nothing beats the sun the light of the sun and the sun doesn't apologize you know for themselves and the but if the sun didn't shine those in the darkness wouldn't be lit so we gotta be the suns in our environment you know and so yeah after I am yes and I am manifesting I want to I want to get artistically and, and financially to better places. I just did a financial workshop to try to figure out things. Um, I definitely, the two things that bother me, one is environment. I just feel like I'm so freaked out about the future of this planet. I think we have seven or eight years to make sure that we just don't devolve. So I think it's like starting even now, honestly, can't wait. But um I hope to put money towards that is the, you know, um, a climate change and environment that I'm really passionate about and research on, um, you know, just things to do that will make this planet better. Um, the other thing is, um, of course, I want to champion education and I want to, in many different levels, and I want to champion uh, teachers um, so much yes, because we just have we have an exodus of teachers teachers aren't earning enough they aren't being valued they um so I I want to champion teachers and education and I don't know what I'll do if I had a lot of money maybe I'd be like Oprah and like in any every school district you know finance a teacher's sabbatical you know so that they can go and do what they need to do um but just teachers are just so incredible and the and the other is nurses I mean, so and I I'm so horrified with the healthcare system um, in this country and how, um, you know, if we're just one big medical calamity away from just being bankrupt, most of us, you know, and I'm thank you to Affordable Care Act and the efforts of the Obama administration, you know, to, you know, that's why I have health care. But I'm, you know, I'm honestly, I, I don't know if something happens, I, I might still with all the deductible things be bankrupt at any moment. And I think we're, if we're the most powerful country, like healthcare needs to be championed, we need more nurses, we need to value our nurses more. And I, I work with the nursing with, um with medical schools and nurses, nursing schools being standardized patient, we play fake patients. So nurses can learn skills. And I just realized that, um you know, that I didn't realize that the nurses, the nurse nurse educators, which are veteran nurses that are on the faculty of nursing schools, were funding my job. I thought the school was funding, but it's which, they, which should be the case, right? Yeah, but the school is is a I, I believe it's like yeah, it's for it's connected to a healthcare system. It's so bad that I didn't realize that the nurses were funding my role. It horrified me. And uh, so I really hope to champion healthcare for all. Um, you know, I mean, I, there's just there's just so much. There's just so much that 
we could do. And then I, I really care very much about nuclear disarmament um, as well. I think we're one ticking time bomb away, you know, from this, the world collapsing. So, yeah, I mean, there's so much, you know, girls education, you know, uh, I would want to give so much to uh, two theater companies I care about. One is New Conservatory Theater Center and the other is National Queer uh, Theater based in um, New York and, and NCTC New Conservatory Theaters uh, is based in San Francisco and they both champion um, LGBTQIA causes. And so I and they've always given me so much joy and I've been cast in shows. And so I would want to just like just give them a million dollars or more, you know, like just that would be oh, my God, that would be so great to just say, here you go. Oprah style. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So what are some ways that listeners can support all of these causes right now, both the ones you're involved with currently and the ones that you are going to champion once you have that power? Yeah, gosh, I don't know in terms of giving. Um, well, look up New Conservatory Theater Center. If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, especially look up National Queer Theater. And um, everybody's always looking for, you know, resources. So <laughs> um, there's always um, places they can help. I mean, honestly, find local theaters in your area and support them because theaters are really, most theaters are championing, you know, great causes. Um, the theater, uh, the theater that I'm part of is called the Same Boat Collective, Theater Collective, Same Boat Theater Collective. And I can give you those, um, those links for show notes. Yes. Um, and so please, you know, definitely get involved. If you're a writer that writes about environmental causes, get involved and send us your scripts. You know, if you'd like to donate, please, you know, donate. Um, so that's one. Um, I think in terms of, I think just educating oneself about environmental causes and nuclear disarmament. Um, I don't have, um, links off the top of my head, but I can get them to you. And, um, yeah. And so those, and what else did I talk about? You talked about a lot, but I think yeah. you already kind of said it, start where you are. Start where you are, to be honest. Like everybody, if everybody cares about their causes, like not everybody's passionate about, but if everybody just cares about one thing that's outside themselves and their family, I think this world would be a better place. And, um, you know, and it always starts with things that we're worried about, you know, and yeah, Agreed. yeah, I just, I read a remarkable story because a friend of mine lost her daughter. Um, she was, you know, very, very young and, you know, and um, 10 or 11, it was a really horrific, mm. a horrific thing that happened. And she then read an, Atlant an article in the Atlantic, which was about Barbara Bush, you know, and how Barbara Bush had lost her, um, had lost her second daughter, um, through leukemia, I believe it was, it was some sort of cancer. And George W. Bush is the first one. And the second one is her daughter. And, um, and that was just a life changing, um, you know, thing for her to go through as a young mom, she was only 28 years old, and how that then changed her life profoundly. And um, she became, you know, um, just really involved in public causes, including um, supporting organizations like the Ronald McDonald Foundation that are, you know, a foundation that, you know, houses uh, families whose kids are, you know, having to undergo treatment in the hospital. So they're, you know, if you can't afford to, you know, be in a city that has a big hospital, they'll house you. And so out of her great grief came, you know, uh, just such a sense of service in her life. And 
um, even this idea that she was gonna, um, you know, invest all her <laughs> efforts into, you know, her oldest who turned out to be the president, whether you, you know, I'm, I'm not a, wasn't a big fan of him while he was a president, but this idea that it was a mother's determination, you know, mm -hmm. um, to make sure that her children would create value in society and give back and that, um, you know, she would use her tragedy to make a difference in the world, you know, so it's sometimes things like that happen to you. So, whatever you're struggling on account of, if you, you know, face that, you can actually go on to encourage somebody else. Well, thank you for sharing your advocacy. What's the best way that people can connect with you and support your career? Oh my gosh. Um, I, I don't have a GoFundMe or anything. And um, <laughs> so, you know, I wish people could just throw money at me, but that would not be good. <laughs> uh, not um, throw it, maybe pass no. it to you. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. No, I don't need, I think I'm okay with that. I, I You can follow me on my Instagram. It's, um, which I can, I'm happy to share. I have a very outdated website, which is, is still outdated. Um, But you can, you can follow me. And if there's opportunities that you think that, um, I can support you with. I'd love to be connected. Um, I am. I feel like my mission statement is facilitating dialogue in uh, between individuals or between organizations within organizations. So a lot of what I do is um, I manage conflicts. I, I build teams. I build self-esteem, confidence, both in you know organizations or in, in communities. And I often use uh, games and theater and fun fun, connective ways. So it's not a heavy, it's not a PowerPoint. Um, so if you feel like I could be useful, I would love to be connected with you. I work virtually as well as in person. Happy to visit your city or work over Zoom or WebEx or whatever your platform is. Yeah, thank you. And if you're performing, people can come see you. Uh, if you are performing, please come and see me. I am in a show in Livermore, California, which is in the East Bay in the San Francisco Bay Area. And the show is called Silent Sky. It is written by Lauren Gunderson. And it's actually, it's an activist work because it's about um, these three female astronomers at the turn of the century that uh, were responsible for figuring out how big the universe was. However, they were not given credit. <laughs> ah. um, and uh, they were working at Harvard, but they were, were they were barely paid. They weren't even really paid for their work. And years later, um, they were accredited way after they, you know, they passed. Um, and so what the director has done is there were three white women, but the director has cast the show diversely, kind of Hamilton style. So that's another way that in which the director is is. Um, is is further uh, making it an activist piece so it's a great show and then in the fall i will be at the new conservatory theater in a show called before the sword uh where i'm uh playing a woman again in the early 1900s who's a lesbian but kind of closeted but helps another woman come out of the closet it's a really it's a great piece and again it's about toxic masculinity colonialism queer identities so please come and see me but you'll I usually post on my Instagram so that's where people can see it okay very good well thank you again and thank you everyone for listening if you enjoyed this episode please like share comment and subscribe this has been active activism part of the femon collective thank you so much Tanya and thank you listeners